coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Monday to you. Man, did we strike it this weekend with the weather or what? And like rolling right into today. In fact, I know I got to take my cat out for a walk in a little bit. He loves warm weather. Sunshine on the belly, gnawing on grass, chasing butterflies, and staring at birds while thinking about lunging at them. Anyway, that's uh, that's on my agenda for later in the day. If you live in or around Atlanta, Georgia, over the weekend, it had to be hard not to notice the presence of the inconspicuous black helicopters, right? I had softball practice in what would have been Buckhead City, but will not be anytime soon. Uh, yesterday morning, and I mean, it was like a sea of helicopters. And here's the thing. There was nothing all that special going on Sunday morning around 9 a.m. that would have you think that there has to be some sort of militarized or police presence above the skies. Except, and we'd been seeing hints and pieces of this forthcoming in emails and on Twitter that there were going to be stepped up, uh, a stepped up presence, I should say, of Cop City uh, Defend the Forest protesters uh, starting March 4th. <clears throat> and that they have a week of events and protests, uh, even a music festival scheduled uh, last weekend. And then last night, you start seeing crawls on the uh, local TV stations that there's... Uh, a heavy plume of smoke and fires and, and, and all this rigmarole coming from the site of the future Atlanta police training facilities. And sure enough, there was a raid. According to a Unicorn Riot, uh, police raided the Atlanta forest after, quote, Cop City opponents uh, overran a security post. And according to this story, uh, at least 30 people have been arrested Sunday evening in the South River Forest during a week of action music festival taking place near the location of the proposed controversial Cop City facility. We'll give you some audio of this. Sir, are those live rounds? Uh, hey, everyone. We're live on Unicorn Riot right now. We're in Atlanta, Georgia, and there are state troopers and possibly Atlanta police officers as well here um, at the RC field. Um, at the RC field, this person's pointing their gun inside a bouncy house right now. That state trooper just pointed a rifle inside a bouncy house. Oh my god. This is a public park! So again, we are in Atlanta, Georgia. And they just turned a... And put that... Um, we just heard something. It might have sounded like a gunshot or a firework. I'm we have to be 20 feet close because the mic uh, won't work otherwise. But yeah, there was a, a noise that kind of sounded like a gunshot or a firework over there. Um, we are in Atlanta, Georgia, and let's see what there's. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we're at the RC Field, yeah, yeah, we which is somewhat near Wilani People's Park. And there's a music festival here advocating for um, quote-unquote Stop Cop City movement and defend the Atlanta forest. There are state troopers and Atlanta police officers uh, who arrived on the scene at this music festival uh, recently here tonight. And um, they apparently tackled a bunch of 
people in the crowd and um, they seem to be going uh, I don't know there's two there's a group of five right in front of us they're splitting up um, probably at least a dozen kind of like charged in to the uh, driveway of this park about 15 or 20 minutes ago um, and yes so we believe they arrested uh, a handful or more of people it's unclear at this time mm -hmm. um, at the very least detained people um, earlier tonight there was an autonomous group of uh, forest defenders who um, it was the biggest march through the Atlanta forest that's ever happened um, it just happened about an hour ago and people marched up a clearing where the power lines are and that's a spot where police activity and surveillance has mostly stationed uh, more cops are on the way walking in at a brisk pace uh, more rifles more live ammunition rounds by the georgia state patrol walking into the atlanta forest uh, the cops have a bunch there's fireworks going off right now uh, behind the trees um, and uh, yeah these are uh, yes there's two state troopers and four uh, I'm assuming Atlanta police officers but four police officers um, walking briskly towards the trees I gotta be honest with you, I'm sitting here watching this video and I'll, I'll share it in the show notes today at uh, ronshowatl.com and on the podcast links as well. And I just can't help but think, I, I, you're looking at this visual of cops uh, turning off the generator to a bouncy house while pointing a rifle into it, imploring people get out. Ew, bad look. Not a good look. Neither, by the way, I must confess, neither is it a good look for uh, peaceful protesters to be throwing Molotov cocktails at cops. Can, can we all agree to that? That's just not, no, guys, that's not cool. The uh, journalist at Unicorn Riot got some more audio talking to one of the folks who were there to enjoy the music festival and giving us her account. I'm going to apologize if I don't get to all the bleeping that needs to be done because this girl used a lot of coarse language. We didn't do anything wrong like at all the whole time. Like We have just been here listening to music and trying to be peaceful. Nobody lit anything on fire. Nobody fought anybody. Nobody hit anyone. We're literally just here. Me and my friends literally just showed up to get drunk and be in support of Stop Cop City. Like, that's it. You feel me? And so now, like I walk past some of our friends are still in there, and <laughs> these guys just went in with these big-ass guns. Yeah. But we, we knew, like, we walked out. Like, I called my dad, and he was like, just uh, walk out. Like, as black people, we had no real reason to be in there playing with these cops. They just killed somebody the other day for being a part of this protest and as a minority they have no issue doing that shit dude like ever so that was even more reason for us to get the fuck out but our friends are still in there and we just told them we said literally just walk out just come out the same way that you came in because a cop literally shined a light for us to make sure we didn't step in mud or anything like he was trying to help us out not to like defend them or anything but they're not gonna fucking fight you if they know that you didn't do shit wrong which we didn't illegal and that's what everybody's worried about is like oh the cops are out there they're all gonna arrest us what are they gonna arrest you for you didn't do anything but stand in there and listen to music yeah. 
Besides the music festival is still going on. Like there's people dancing. I mean, they were still stuff. playing music when we were in there. Nobody's dancing oh, nobody's not, dancing at all like coming into the nobody was coming in nobody's coming over there out. no nobody was trying to grab anybody out nobody was trying to pull anyone out right at when we were in there right just when now. we were in what time is it now it's 828 828 8 we were in there nobody was pulling anybody out nobody was doing anything how many people would you say were maybe there maybe like 80 maybe 100 maybe 80 way, or 100 way still. less than okay. were in there earlier no one's dancing but standing around holding ground basically basically well, yeah like a girl laid out a blanket and like laid down and like wouldn't move and shit and then there were a couple people with like the same police kind of like shields or whatever that were out there but that was it dude nobody was being violent everybody was being loving and just trying to be peaceful and keep everybody calm because like even i had a panic attack walking yeah. up out of there like yeah. that shit was not like okay to me like at all but everybody should be fine them having these big ass guns for people who are trying to be for faye webster <laughs> all faye webster fans bro like what the f do you need ar-15s for see that's the thing nobody comes out of this looking good uh, and you know what i couldn't like this tweet enough actually uh jay bookman friend of the show uh georgia recorder columnist uh tweeted uh, a few hours back uh, here in the hometown of Dr. King, the violent tactics employed by opponents of Cop City are making it harder and harder to feel sympathy for the cause they claim to champion. Opponents of police violence have no credibility when they use violence themselves. And this, of course, is the flip side of that observation. He follows up with another tweet. Domestic terrorism, he quotes those words, is a serious charge that should only be filed in cases of actual or attempted terrorism and should not be abused by officials seeking to intimidate. I mean, that's kind of where I am at this point. Both statements can be true, and both sides can be egregious over-actors when it comes to this Cop City debate, which puts a lot of us in the middle, right? Oh, and by the way, a lot of the folks arrested, I think only two of the 23 or 30, depending on the number that you, you land on, were from the state of Georgia. I, mean, I don't even know why I mentioned that anymore, to be honest with you, because it's not like there isn't local opposition to it. It's just that not much local opposition is going to go camp in the force to defend it. Folks have jobs. Folks have kids. Folks have obligations, unfortunately. Uh, the AJC reporting, by the way, some of the violence at the site uh, included uh, several pieces of construction equipment set on fire. That's the plume of smoke we saw. That's according to Atlanta Police Chief Darren Shearbaum, uh, who pointed that out during a news conference uh, Sunday night. Uh, he also says investigators believe that those involved had initially attended the music festival before beginning what was described by police as a coordinated attack. Shearbaum saying actions such as this will not be tolerated. When you attack law enforcement officers, when you damage equipment, you are breaking the law. Well, my question to Chief Shearbaum would be this. And by the way, he's welcome on the show. Why did you guys show up uh, in force with Georgia State Patrol and uh, a bunch of rifles on your shoulder? Why? I mean, surround the park if you want, uh, you know, in case protests turn violent. But why why show up with the, 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 the showiness that you will have weapons on you to act with if necessary? I mean, we wouldn't want the U.S. military to roll up a bunch of tanks at Canada's border and point it at them, right? It's instigatory. Incidentally, I don't know if that's a word, but it felt right rolling right off the lips. But also, here we are in the birthplace of Dr. King, where nonviolent protest was the call of the day for many years in that movement. 
If you want to defend the forest, fine, please defend the forest. Thank you so much. I understand the plight. I understand the cause, but you cannot be throwing Molotov cocktails. You cannot be throwing fireworks at cops who are going to be a little jittery as it is because there is, no matter how you believe the last deadly encounter turned out, there is at least a belief within police ranks that someone may be in those forests with a gun ready to shoot at you. So they're going to be jittery. They're going to be self-defensive. Fireworks being thrown at them doesn't help. And actually, it's on that nonviolent protest note that now we're starting to see a collective of community faith leaders who, by the way, went to city council today to state their case to make the argument against Cop City. We'll report on that as we get more info about that. That meeting is actually going on as we go to press right now. That's the latest in the calamity that is the Cop City debate here in the city of Atlanta. Liberal pundit Georgia Winlist director Melita Easter joins us to talk about Cop City and abortion and more later on the show. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow the Ron Show on Twitter at Ron Show ATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I said Friday I wasn't going to go over a whole bunch of crap from uh, CPAC, but Donald Trump did invoke Fulton County and DA Fonnie Willis. Strong. Stay strong. Help is coming. Mm-hmm. Then there's the racist DA from Atlanta, whose city is among the most violent and dangerous places per capita in the country. <laughs> More murders than even Chicago per capita. No. It's totally out of control in that she has her kangaroo court focused on a perfect phone call that I made Mm. while her jury foreman, a rather bizarre young woman, (laughs) is going around doing media interviews and saying exactly what's going on in this. One of many grand juries. Our opponents do anything they can to hurt me politically because Mm. they're afraid of me and they're afraid of you. That's what it is. But it's it's not not supposed to work that way. First of all, Mr. Trump seems to have an issue with facts. Um, Fonnie Willis, by the way, can walk and chew gum at the same time, and she is dealing with crime uh, within Fulton County uh, at a pretty historic level. I mean, she's using hip-hop lyrics to induce convictions, y'all. And by the way, uh, according to propertyclub.nyc, the 10 most dangerous cities in America, Atlanta's not even among them. Lubbock, Texas is, though. Oh, but that's in a red state. Oh, dare we mention that? Um, let's see. You got Memphis in Tennessee, another red state city. That's number one, by the way. Followed by St. Louis and Oakland and Albuquerque and Baltimore, New Orleans, Detroit, Lubbock, Chicago, and Stockton, California. I uh, don't see Atlanta in that list. That being said, Donald Trump's also wanting to wander into a state issue. I don't know if you're aware of this. But the Georgia General Assembly, the Republican-led Georgia General Assembly, is looking to rush a couple of bills through that would give some teeth to Republicans to be able to remove locally elected district attorneys if they're not happy with the way those district attorneys are doing their job. And according to the AJC, uh, Donald Trump went to Truth Social to push these measures saying they want to make it easier to remove and replace local rogue prosecutors who are incompetent, racist, or unable to properly do their job. Congratulations to the Georgia legislature for having the courage to act boldly, fairly, and fast. Now, the AJC reports, by the way, there are two bills. uh, A House bill that would uh, lower the threshold to recall a prosecutor 
from 30%, which is kind of high, uh, to uh, 2% of registered voters. Uh, Senate Bill 92 would create a panel of appointed by GOP leaders with the power to remove elected DAs for, quote, willful misconduct in office. Very gray area there. So uh, we'll talk about that with uh, Melita Easters, who will be joining us from the Georgia Gang on Fox 5. She's also the director of the Georgia Win List. They have a, uh, a big Women in History uh, reception coming up Wednesday at the Georgia Freight Depot. Let her talk to you guys about that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, and this study that just came out from the Journal of the America is it J George Journal of the American Medical Association? That's really hard to say. Uh, that talks about how effective Georgia's new abortion law would be and what the uh, impacts that has for folks who are arguing from the pro-choice or from the anti-choice bunker in that nonstop battle. And I've been doing this uh, each day this month. Want to do this again? Uh, today's inspiring women. It was on this day in March 6th that Sarah Caldwell, the founder, conductor, and artistic director of the Opera Company of Boston, was born on this day in 1924. Uh, real quick, before we get to the bottom of the hour news break and then come back with Melita Easters, the uh, Buckhead City folks uh, lobbed one last uh, little volley on the way out the door here. Let's give you their, uh, their send-off letter. To our supporters, this email is intended to inform you what happened last week behind the scenes regarding our efforts this legislative session to get Buckhead Cityhood on the ballot? As you are aware, the Georgia State Senate voted against our Buckhead City bills. We also, we also would like to provide you with the next steps on our movement. After our Buckhead City bills passed through the state and local and government operations committee last Monday, our supporters were successful in calling and emailing senators that were, quote, on the fence. As of Tuesday night, we were confident that we had the votes for our bills to pass the Senate for the votes on Thursday, or at least it would be a close vote. However, the memo released by Governor Kemp's executive counsel, David Dove, changed everything. Early last week, Governor Kemp's office, Mayor Dickens' office, and the Buckhead Coalition colluded to kill the Buckhead City bills. The Buckhead Coalition sent a list of questions regarding our legislation to Governor Kemp's office, and David Dove effectively copied and pasted those questions for his memo. They coordinated to release the memo to Patricia Murphy and Greg Bluestein of the AJC Wednesday morning, the day before the Senate vote. All the questions raised in David Dove's memo about Buckhead City were already answered in SB 113 and SB 114. That's not true because they went before the panel to answer those questions and didn't have the answers themselves. Anyway, let me get back to the letter. In addition, the cityhood vote would not have occurred until 2024, which would have provided us an additional legislative session to pass any laws that were needed to tie up loose ends. Never mind the fact that they've been working on this for three years and could have had some of those loose ends tied up themselves when making this presentation. Back to the letter. Sorry, Ron. Uh, but the memo effectively swayed the swing votes against our bills because those Republican senators could not disobey Governor Kemp. Oh, my gosh. Governor Kemp was so aggressive in killing the Buckhead City bills that his chief of staff, Trey Kilpatrick, was calling senators the day of the vote to ensure they were voting no. The governor also called specific senators into his office the day of the vote, telling them to vote no. In a nutshell, Governor Kemp and his team coordinated behind closed doors to kill the Buckhead City bills before they even had the chance for an honest vote in the Senate. Unfortunately, now that Governor Kemp has displayed that he does not support our right to vote, there's some irony there. We've got Republicans calling out the Republican governor for disenfranchising voters. Mm. Well, anyway, there is no path forward for a cityhood referendum while he remains governor until the end of his term in 2026. He mad. Bill White, big mad, y'all. 
I'll give you the rest of this. Although we had hoped for a different outcome this legislative session, we still continue to work for the cityhood referendum in the future. We will never stop fighting for Buckhead residents' right to vote, and we fully believe Buckhead should be its own city to keep us safe, protect zoning, invest in our infrastructure, and more. How about it? just invest in the infrastructure you've got to deal with now, my friends? Uh, more here. Uh, even though we did not accomplish our ultimate goal for now, our organization, with your help, forced the new mayor and city council of Atlanta to prioritize Buckhead and public safety. You're arguing against yourself, Bill. Against all odds, we were only six votes away from our bills passing in the Senate. We want to thank our supports, donors, those who had a yard sign, and our volunteers who shared our vision for a better Buckhead. We want to thank our amazing senators who sponsored our legislation, those who didn't live in Buckhead, by the way, and voted yes on our bills. Uh, and then they give contact information for the governor and Trey Kilpatrick and uh, Governor Kemp's office as well. Salty. Melita Easters joins us next on The Ron Show. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Always glad to have Melita Easters joins us from the uh, Georgia Win List, the director of the Georgia Win List. Also, uh, one of your regular pundits Sunday mornings on Fox 5 WAGA-TV's The Georgia Gang. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate that uh, time. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to promote an event that you uh, at the Georgia Win List are hosting this Wednesday. Tell us all about International Women's Day and what you guys are doing. Well, we're very excited to have five of our endorsed women legislators who will answer questions um, in a panel discussion um, moderated by myself um, for our International Women's Day reception. It's at the Georgia Freight Depot from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. Tickets are still available at the Georgia Winlist website, G-A-W-I-N-L-I-S-T.com. The discussion will feature um, Senators Sonia Halpern and Sally Harrell as well as representatives Dr. Michelle Al, Tanya Miller, and Mary Margaret Oliver. And they cover a gamut of areas of expertise and years of experience, Mary Margaret, of course, being the most experienced, and Tanya Miller being a brand new state rep. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're excited about that conversation and what they'll be able to tell our guests about what, which bills are left for consideration following crossover day today on Monday. So, uh, and we've had Dr. Michelle Owl on the show before. She is wonderful. Uh, she's one of, the, one of those rising stars to kind of keep an eye on. Um, so this being uh, Women's History Month, we've been focusing on women in history each day on the show and spotlighting them and, and, and just, you know, getting to meet these folks who are, are, are not just current, but uh, future pioneers, women uh, for, uh, for, for us to keep our, our eye on in the very near future. What a wonderful opportunity to see them all in one spot. Again, that's uh, at uh, gawinlist.com, right? Yes. And the other thing that's exciting about that day mm -hmm. is that the more than 25 women who are part of our Win Leadership Academy year-long training program will be beginning the day at 9 a.m. for their day under the dome. Mm -hmm. And they'll be watching House and Senate debates and learning their way around the Capitol, because we like to encourage women to run, but we also want them to know 
what they would be getting in for if they did run. Yeah. So they'll be having their day under the dome on Wednesday, and that will add greatly to the excitement and energy of our crowd. Oh, gosh, that's very cool. Yeah. Do, uh, do, do, do you pair them up with uh, with another legislature or, uh, you know, to kind of like shadow them or something, or how does that work? Well, what we do is some of them, we'll, we'll have some legislators pop into the training session that morning, mm-hmm. but they'll be sitting in the gallery and we'll be on a group chat okay. during part of that time so that they can ask questions. We had to do that the year that, two years during COVID. And, and you know, when you're sitting in the gallery, you can't really ask questions of other people because you have to be quiet. Right. But they had so many interesting questions that we're keeping that feature alive. The other thing that's exciting for these women is that on Wednesday afternoon, between 3 p.m. and 4.30, um, Senators Sally Harrell and Representative Shay Roberts will be hosting a hearing on the Reproductive Freedom Act. That's SB 15 and House Bill 75. Those two bills were simultaneously introduced um, back in January, but of course the Republicans have refused to allow those bills to be heard in the committees to which they are assigned. And so Senator Harrell and Representative Roberts have decided to hold their own hearing and let um, their fellow legislators and the press and the public hear from experts about the dramatic impact of the currently enforced Georgia six-week abortion ban, Mm -hmm. which, of course, as you know, and people who follow this know, is under court challenge. And it will be that Supreme Court, Georgia Supreme Court challenge, will be heard um, on March 28th before the legislature um, adjourns sine die on March 29th. So I'm sitting here reading about Senate Bill 15. Uh, again, as you call it, the uh, Reproductive Freedom Act, as it's been named. Uh, it, it outlines abortion access as a fundamental right, uh, bans law enforcement agencies from arresting an individual for getting or performing an abortion as long as the procedure otherwise follows medical law. It would also be used to require insurance providers to cover abortion procedures and medications. Yes, so it effectively reinstates abortion access for Georgia women, which is, of course, why the Republicans won't give it a hearing. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice, I maybe maybe you were, were kind of chuckling at this a little bit too during the Buckhead City Senate uh, brouhaha last week, all the, the, the pro-Buckhead folks were just clamoring for, you know, these people deserve a vote. These people deserve a vote. And my thinking was, well, why don't we put abortion up for referendum too and see what happens? Well, what would happen is, based <laughs> on polling information, is that Georgians overwhelmingly prefer for women to have the freedom to and the medical autonomy to make their own decisions mm. about reproductive choices. So Republicans are not willing to let people vote on things they uh, like abortion access and reproductive freedom when they know people might vote in a different fashion than what they're trying to um, legislate. Right. And then we saw the article that came out today, the uh, study done by the uh, uh, Journal of the American Medical Association that shows Looking back over the past 11 years, uh, abortion data in the state of Georgia, only 9% of those pregnancies would have met the new six-week cutoff for an abortion. Melita Easter is joining us from the Georgia win list, and I want you to tell me why that's a 
dangerous and I mean, just an eye-opening piece of data. Well, it's it's eye-opening because what that means is 91% of the women who received an abortion during the 10-year period of that study, 07 to 2017, 91% of them would have been prohibited from receiving that reproductive medical care if the current six weeks law had been in effect. Now, that also underlying that that big figure is the fact that the law also um, in disproportionate ways discriminates against black patients, young patients, and patients who have a lower percentage of household income. So the most vulnerable among us would not be able to travel to other states. Mm -hmm. They would not be able to receive the care they hope for. And that means they're then forced to um, seek out illegal procedures, seek care that they can't afford in another state, mm. or they're forced to bear an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. And then in the cases of those vulnerable women who've received frightening health diagnoses about carrying a pregnancy to term, either endangering themselves or um, knowing that they will deliver a, a medically um, unviable, unviable um, fetus, mm -hmm. they are forced to carry that pregnancy either to the end of term or until such time as a natural miscarriage occurs. But in some cases, you know, even for women like these who are beginning to have a natural miscarriage, doctors are reluctant to perform the care that has been standard medical practice because they're afraid of being arrested. It's, it, I mean, this is so alarming. This is really handmade tales-like stuff that you're reading about here. Uh. Well, and you know, when these, when, when this um, six-week abortion ban was debated back in 2019, at a time when Roe v. Wade was still in full effect, most of the Republicans who voted for that bill didn't envision Roe v. Wade being overturned by the United States Supreme Court. Right. So they felt very safe in voting for that bill because they had the backup of Roe v. Wade um, being in effect. Mm -hmm. And during those debates, people said, oh, everybody knows they're pregnant by six weeks. Well, guess what? The vast majority 89 to 91% of them don't know they're pregnant at six weeks. And for uh, in most of those cases, that's just due to the fact that they don't have the general sort of health care, the access to health care, that those who uh, don't worry about insurance or cost, uh, you know, take for granted. Well, it's not, and, and that's very, very true because Georgia, half of Georgia's 159 counties 
do not have an OBGYN practicing in that county. That's amazing. So that means, it is amazing, because that means for the vast majority of rural Georgia, patients have to travel 45 minutes to an hour one way mm. to find an OBGYN, and for some of them, even further. So that is an obstacle to good care. You can't get a pizza delivered <laughs> 45 minutes away. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, no, you that's, can't. that's no. the thing I try to help you. You know, that, that's a lot of travel for unnecessary health care. And if you can't get a pizza delivered in that distance, that's a consideration. Well, that's, that's, I never thought about it as pizza delivery comparison, but it's a valid one. <laughs> um, the, the other thing is that you, you really have to understand that not every woman has a sufficiently regular cycle right. that she absolutely knows yeah. she is pregnant. Yep. And many women with busy lives don't track things like that as carefully as some others might think they do. Mm -hmm. And frankly, when we see other states suggesting that teenagers um, turn in their cycle data for participation on sports teams, mm -hmm. or we see prosecution of women um, who have received abortion care, then women are reluctant to even load on their phone the apps that could later be, that, that are used for tracking such personal information for fear those apps could later be used to accuse them of a crime. It's so dystopian. It really is. I, I just don't know how, I, and I don't understand how the folks who are afraid of big government and Think of uh, the the nightmares they have after reading 1984 or seeing the old movie. They don't quite understand how they're the ones making it happen. Well, it's the white males who hold the power wanting to control others in a in a way that they see themselves losing control. Mm. So it's, it's the only way they can control the women who now have more slots in law schools, more slots in medical schools, more slots in colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. Make them stay home barefoot and pregnant. Man, I, you know, I don't, I personally don't want to have that kind of a cynical worldview, but I mean, you're a woman, so I'm taking, I'm taking your word for this. I, I completely understand where that mindset comes from. And I, I see, I, you know, when you see the, the, the trend line where, uh, it, it seems like w w there's this realization that, uh, the, the American workforce is growing smaller and it's getting harder to nail jello to the wall and figure out why unemployment numbers are so low, but people aren't clamoring to come back to work either. The gig economy is kind of a thing. And women have more autonomy in, in ways that wasn't seen in past generations. So you're right. It, it does seem to add up to we, we need to have some sort of method of controlling so that, you know, the, the, the man can still have his place in, in a patriarchal society. Well, and you see that in another piece of legislation um, that was featured on the front page of the New York Times today, where Republicans all over the country, but especially in Georgia, mm -hmm are pushing laws 
which would curtail the power of district attorneys. Yes, yes. Because district attorneys are the last pale male club that women have more recently become members of. Mm -hmm. Because the way it works is in Georgia, there might be anywhere up to 19 judges for a single judicial circuit, using Fulton County as an example. Uh But there's only one Fulton Circuit District Attorney. Mm -hmm. And it's only in recent years that we now have 14 minority women district attorneys in Georgia. It's the last bastion of white male power that has been expanded to include women and minorities. And the white males in power aren't really happy to see that. And so they're trying to change the way that district attorneys exercise the power voters gave them by electing them. We're on with Melita Easters from the Georgia Win List. Back in just a second here on The Ron Show on the America One Radio. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. We're back on with Melita Easters, director of the Georgia Win List. Their International Women's Day events coming up Wednesday night. You said 5 to 6.30 at the Georgia Freight Depot, right? 5 to 6.30, Georgia Freight Depot. Tickets still available on our website, www.gawinlist.com. The program will be an interesting one featuring Senators Sonia Halpern and Sally Harrell, as well as Representatives Dr. Michelle Al, Tanya mm. Miller, and Mary Margaret Oliver. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw on the site like a lonely old guy like me who's not coming in with a group or a, a business or anything like that. I can just get in for 100 bucks, right? You can get in for a hundred bucks and we'd be thrilled to have you and you won't be the only man there, I assure you. <laughs> well, that wasn't the implication, but no, I understand. <laughs> no, I'm just like, I'm single. I don't have a date. Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have a big company that wants to, you know, spend for a table. It's just going to be me. Well, but- we don't have tables actually. Oh, okay. Um, we're going to let people mingle and um, then they'll sit down for the program and then they'll finish off the food. And the other thing is that Children are welcome. Oh, cool. We're all about That's a great um, idea. making Georgia better for women and children. Mm-hmm. And so my own grandchildren will be there and others will as well. Speaking of children, Donald Trump was on Truth Social and at CPAC over the weekend. How'd you like that transition? Um, uh, talking uh, about uh, Fonnie Willis uh, in, in particular and Emily Coors, who uh, I'm not sure I want to hear so much from her or about her, but nonetheless, it, we were talking about the uh, the targeted attacks on district attorneys, and in particular here in the state of Georgia, there seems to be uh, a couple of bills, you know, in session. We don't know if they're going to, uh, you know, make it to crossover day, and but let's talk more about that. You were you were speaking to the fact that there seems to be a, a movement now to be more concerned about what DAs are doing from the Republican side because. There's an uptick in minority and female and female minority representation in those offices. Yes. And and part of what's happening is these DAs come in with ideas to have flexibility in the way Lady Justice looks at 
certain crimes. Some of them have accountability courts. Some of them have drug courts. Some of them have courts that deal specifically with the mentally ill. And not everybody likes these new ways of doing things. One of the bills um, that's, that's been authored is authored by Houston Gaines from Athens. I'm big UGA football fan. Mm-hmm. In fact, on the day of the national championship, which was the first day of the session, he was already out west, and he had his oath administered by a justice from the state Supreme Court from a box at the football stadium wearing his red and black. <laughs> now, he doesn't particularly like the way Deborah Gonzalez, a former state rep, a Hispanic woman, administers her office. But it's very interesting to me that District Attorney Gonzalez recently had a case before her involving a UGA football player. Mm. Um, who had been charged with um, restraining um, a a partner and not letting her out of a room. Some serious charges. But her office is dealing with that, using him as a first-time offender and giving him an alternative to a criminal trial and an opportunity to clear his record. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wondering how Representative Gaines feels about one of his football players being given the kind of justice he finds disfavor with and pushes this bill to eliminate. It It is interesting, is it not? Yeah. Uh, you know, now I've got to go Google and see if this guy's got anything to say about this case in particular. Fascinating. I love that. Also, I think we, we, we have to give credit where it's due. Uh, Funny Willis gets a lot of press, a lot of ink for the grand jury investigation into Donald Trump's meddling in the Georgia 2020 election, but she's also been pretty tough on crime. She's been very tough on crime, and she has this massive gang case yes. currently underway. Fonnie Willis is a real um, powerhouse you know, she's the daughter of a very respected attorney out of D.C., a man who was a former um, Black Panther, and he realized that all of the lawyers who came when they were arrested were white, mm. and that's part of what prompted him to go to law school. Inspiring. Bonnie's parents were divorced. She was raised by her father as young as 10 or 12 She was sometimes taken to court on Saturday mornings with her dad because he didn't have a caregiver. Um, And and she has, in some of her interviews, very fond memories of certain judges who took a liking to her and, um, and were very kind to her as she was a young child. That's a cool story. That's a cool story. Melita, you always bring some, uh, some insight, even some cool anecdotes and, uh, I'm still sitting here shaking about this, uh, the, the Georgia football player case. I got to go Google this here shortly, but uh, I want to thank you for your time today. And I'm going to go get my ticket because I, you know what? We've never actually met face to face and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, if nothing else. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday evening. Yes, ma'am. That, again, that's going to be 5 to 6.30 uh, Wednesday night at the Georgia Freight Depot. Head to Georgia or GAWinlist.com to purchase your tickets. 
for the International Women's Day event. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. That's unfortunately all the time we have for today. I got so much more we could be talking about the city council meeting with uh, some of the cop city folks in there. It's not a very popular uh, uh, police training facility, (laughs) but we'll talk more about that and more tomorrow when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. You can catch it here weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. And on all the podcast platforms shortly after 6 p.m. Have a great one. We will see you tomorrow.